This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. Tyler Donahue and Sean Fitz welcoming you into week number six of the Penn State football season here in 2021. The 5-0 Nittany Lions remain at number four in the AP Top 25 poll. They were jumped by Iowa, went from five to number three. Oregon was number three. They tumbled after a loss to Stanford. So I don't think James Franklin, Sean, necessarily going to be upset that Penn State all of a sudden is looking up in the rankings against Iowa. They're heading to Iowa City. It's a four o'clock kickoff. And I say that because you'll take any kind of extra motivation you will in a matchup like this. And and we'll get to learn a lot more about these Hawkeyes in a moment. David Eicholt from 24-7 Sports Iowa site, who does a tremendous job covering this team, will join us for an in-depth conversation. But Sean, Number four, Penn State. Number three, Iowa. The stage is set. If you need any more motivation for this, that's a problem because this is a a really good matchup. Uh, kind of said it after the game the other night. This is uh, all of a sudden college football is a survivor poll unless you're you know Alabama or Georgia right now. It's ever it's those two and everyone else. So everyone's just scrapping for everything they can get, and this is a big one. I mean. Uh, you know, I think what's going to be played up all week is this is two top five teams, but you know, that you can shoot holes in both of these schedules right now, just based on who they've played and how those teams have, have been good, have been bad, have, have been whatever they have been. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's a really interesting matchup because I'm not sure that, that we know oh, how good both of these teams can be. I mean, I know I've gotten texts with, uh, you know, basically, is Penn State good? Is Iowa good? Yeah, I think they're good. It's just uh, they're not at that, that next level. We're going to find out on Saturday um, in a tough environment at Kinnick Stadium what, which one is going to be the, the Big Ten's best shot this year because, you know, Ohio State, I, I know they rebounded and and they're always going to be the, the on top of that mountain, um, but they've, they've got a loss on that resume right now. So it's uh, it's going to be a, a very interesting matchup. It should be, uh, you know, two, two really solid teams doing what they do. And, and, you know, it's, it's going to come down to the same things we talk about all the time, turnovers, big plays, things like that. And it's, it's going to be a fun one. Yeah. And you, you know, you're getting a little further away from those early victories uh, for, for you know, Iowa, that Indiana game looking less impressive. That was a team that was ranked 17th in the Hoosiers. We got a close look at them. They were not the number 17 team in the country coming in. Uh, Iowa State's lost a couple games. That was an early marquee win. And, of course, Wisconsin has gone into a spiral uh, since they faced Penn State. So, you know, there's there's a lot of ways that uh, people want to that, poke holes. That's what, what we're going to that? do. That's what, that's what college football is going to do. It's, of course. It's, you're going to take that schedule and you're going to say, oh, well, this team sucks. The, the, yes. Wisconsin sucks now. Auburn sucks now, even though Auburn got an impressive uh, come from behind 18. win against uh, Auburn's LSU. number 18, yeah. 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 Well, it's, that's what I'm saying. You, you see those, those two teams at the top and you think that those three, four five or whatever <laughs> are at that level. They're, they're simply not. And then you just got to poke and prod and say, okay, Notre Dame lost to this team and, and Indiana beat or Indiana lost to Cincinnati by this. It's just this whole game that we're playing to get to these uh, college football playoff rankings. And, Here's the important thing. At the end of the day, one of these top five teams is going to lose. And, it, you know, Penn State hopes it's Iowa. Iowa hopes it's Penn State. And you're just going to keep trucking. Like I said, you got to 
do what's in front of you right now. And that's, uh, that's basically all you can do because there's going to be probably a two loss team in the playoffs and you got to put your, uh, put yourself in position just to, to, to be the one loss team ahead of them. You try track of the dominoes, you work your way down the rabbit hole. You end up looking at a rankings that have Ohio state ahead of Oregon, just a few weeks after Oregon went to Columbus and beat Ohio state. That's how it works this time of year. Everyone's trying to figure out how to assemble these teams. Right now, Alabama and Georgia are at the top, and then you got to go down 116 points in that poll to get to Iowa at number three. Meanwhile, number three, Iowa, number five, Cincinnati, separated by 61 total points. So that shows the separation up top right now. We'll find out a lot on Saturday. As we said, David Eichholt will be joining the conversation in just a moment. But circling back to some leftovers from Whenever that was, we recorded between Saturday night and Sunday morning, Sean, in our post-game podcast. I think we've got a few more things to say coming out of that. Offense, defense, and special teams. And by the way, we'll start with special teams. Jordan Stout, a second time this season, uh, Big Ten Special Teams Player of the Week honors. He shared that award this time. Um, we talked about this. You, you combine him with the way defenses uh, this defense is playing and his uh, ability to completely eliminate kickoff returners and then bury teams with his punts or shift the dynamics of your field position with his punts. And then you let these 11 guys go out on defense and, and carry the momentum they've been carrying. I mean, that has just been um, an essential part of what has worked for Penn State and Jordan Stout twice in a matter of five weeks getting all conference praise. You've got um, your special teams rankings are, are based on a few things, return yardage, a, a big one. And if you can just, you know, cut that out entirely, you're in a pretty good spot. Jordan Stout hasn't allowed a kickoff return. He did kick one, the opening kickoff to the one against Indiana, which was a little bit wor- worrisome, um, but he managed to, to come back and, and, and take care of it. I think he put his third one through the uprights, which is just a massive, massive kick. So um, those special teams rankings are really good for a reason. And, and, and that reason is Jordan Stout and, and, and even the punting thing that I tweeted this the other night is he's putting the ball far but he's also putting it so high that that drew hartlob and aj Litton are there waiting on the return man whenever they 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 get the ball so that's just it's pretty incredible to see how this has come along i'm, I'm scrolling through the uh the special teams rankings and penn state's doing really well right now um only four punt return through um excuse me only four punt returns through five games and averaging just five yards per punt return. So that's a, that's a pretty good body of work for Mr. Stout. He's uh, he's had an, an impressive offseason and he's turned that and uh, made the most of it uh, on the field this year. We'll continue this Jordan Stout appreciation moment here. His 93.3% touchback percentage is the highest among FBS kickers with at least 30 kickoffs on the season. Uh, he's now second all time, Sean, in 50 yard field goals at Penn State. Uh, that's, I mean, that's something that you kind of forget about because of how well he was punting. He hit a 50 yarder that made it a 24 to, to nothing game at that point because it didn't matter if it was 14 nothing or 24 nothing. Indiana wasn't going to much of the comeback, but kind of put the cherry on top, made you feel really good about that lead. But the punting, man, uh, 14 punts of 50 yards or more in his entire career, 11 of them have come in the first five games of this particular Penn State season. He's landed 10 punts inside the 20 through five games. Sean, we know how huge that was on the road at Wisconsin. He won Big Ten Special Teams Player of the Week despite his issues as a place kicker. Was big again, again in a close game against Auburn. And this time around, in a matchup, as we talked about, late Saturday, early Sunday, never felt like Michael Penix and this Hoosiers offense was going to be capable to, to light the fire necessary to mount a comeback. But when you got Jordan Stout continuously extinguishing that possibility with his punts, um, it was just a lot to overcome for Indiana. 
And it's been so consistent. I mean, and I don't want to do the knock on wood game here, but you know, no real shanks or anything like that. 48.46 yards per punt had that 76 yarder that did go in the end zone, but only three touchbacks on 24 punts. Um, the way that he's kicking the ball is, is impressive in coverage and it's impressive. Uh, it's an impressive effort by him. He's been, he's been phenomenal this year. I mean, there's the, it, just so consistent in pretty much every facet. Um, it's uh, you know, still some work to do with, with those field goals uh, six for nine, you know, had the had the miss early in the year uh, against Wisconsin, but uh, can't can't really complain about Jordan Stout right now, can we? Can't complain about him, and you certainly, if I hear anyone complaining about Jahan Dotson, we're going to have a conversation because I do want to note, along with all the receiving accolades that he has warranted this year, and he continues to build his case as college football's most impressive uh, player at that position, and, and perhaps the most impressive NFL prospect of that position. He's a guy to watch on special teams. I think we got a good glimpse of that with his 16-yard return in the Indiana matchup, which ended up setting up Jordan Stout's field goal. The offense didn't produce a single single yard on that possession. It didn't matter because uh, they went from midfield to field goal range very quickly, thanks to, to Jahan Dotson. And I really am curious to see how much more of an impact he can make in that regard. We saw as that 2017 season wore on and Saquon Barkley's national uh, brand was built, started to really make major plays, of course, on the road at Ohio State as a kick returner. That was something that really became part of his arsenal, part of what you you thought when you thought of Saquon Barkley, you thought of, okay, this guy's a threat on special teams. I'd love to see Jahan Dotson get some more opportunities to get loose. He had a punt return for a touchdown late in the Big Ten schedule last year. I think he's going to have opportunities, and, and, I, and I feel like that is a storyline here. For as great as he's been as a receiver, there are going to be moments in these next seven games, Sean, where his abilities as a special teams returner Swing momentum. Well, he's also got a passer rating of 280.6. So (laughs) he's got got a little bit of everything going on for him. Um, You know, you're going to start. I I don't think you're going to hear him too much in the Heisman race. But you know he it's warranted. He's been that good. He's been he's been phenomenal in every facet, and um, it's uh, it, 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 he's really a special player. And there's that that's really what you kind of take away from that. Um, I would like to see you know get him get a little bit of space. We saw it. Uh, we saw a little bit of it uh, this past weekend, but uh, just uh, con- con- continues to put in the work. Continues to put in an incredible performance week after week. And um, yeah, you, as you mentioned, that stage is going to be even brighter as a top five team going through the schedule that they're going to have to go through to get where they need to be. Jahan Dotson is going to be in the spotlight for a lot of people. And I think he, you know, he's, he's lived up to it so far. Absolutely. Um, I do want to note here before we get into some other offensive and defensive thoughts from, from the last game, um, our platform service that we normally will be recording video streaming for this podcast currently down as we try to record on a Monday morning. We didn't want to push this off into Tuesday or, or into Monday night either. So we're still recording here. We went back uh, to our old traditional way. So if you follow this one on YouTube, you're going to see a bunch of images for this one, uh, but we should be back up and running with video of all of our episodes after this one. Sorry about that it's out of our hands it's out of lance glenn's hands i want to make that clear for our producer but moving forward here uh as you don't get a chance to see our mugs this time around uh which is fine by us on a monday morning sean uh, the offensive backfield has become a complicated conversation i mean it was already one uh, going into the preseason uh, it's become even more so because of all these different factors and let's start with Kevon lee because it felt like you got to see that big playability, that, that some burst here, a couple of long runs, one that went for 40 plus yards. This is a ground game that has really struggled to produce runs going beyond six, seven, eight yards at any point this season. They have been few and far between. The explosive plays have come through the air. That changed a little bit on Saturday. 
200 plus total rushing yards. It was no bell cow situation. This was one where the, where the opportunity and the volume was shared in a distinct way. Um, Clifford ends up with 58 yards. It actually second on the team, but it was Kevon Lee 70 plus rushing yards on the game who led the team. And I know a lot of our listeners, readers, and, and you and I, I think, very curious to see about how things can open up in this offense moving forward for Kevon Lee. We all saw how we finished last year when the depth chart was very different. My question on him is how much does the staff trust him? There's been some ball security stuff. How much does the staff trust him as a pass protector? How much do they trust his situational awareness? Because it was still Noah Kane coming in late in some goal line situations, although Lee got the ball there as well. I think that's still the question I have when assessing how much of a role he takes on in Iowa City even this Saturday. You wonder if during uh, during his true freshman season, he had that great game against Michigan as if as if he was uh, blissfully naive about what to do at some point. And sometimes that helps. You know, you, you don't think about it. You just go. And you've seen him think a couple times this year. Also seen him put the ball on the ground a couple times this year. What, what was interesting to me is Kane, Kane got the first snaps and we'll probably talk about Kane here in a minute. Um, but after that, they went to that two back set with Lovett and Devin Ford. So it even, you know, he was the fourth running back on the field this week. And, and again, most decisive, um, you know, I, I don't know if you can quantify who blocks best for which back, but Kevon Lee seems to pick, pick up the biggest chunk. So, um, you know, you gotta, you gotta figure out whether you can trust this guy to, to do what he can and hold onto the football. And, uh, if they can do that, you know, they're going to, they're going to need big performances from backs this week. I mean, you're going on the road at a ridiculous environment and I know it's not a night game at Kinnick, but still you're going to need those guys to, uh, to be at their best. And, and I think it's pretty obvious that Penn state's running back room, hasn't been at its best so far this year. So um gonna need gonna need a little bit different out of every one of those guys, but you're gonna need a, a guy to lead the way. And so far Lee looks like the guy that he can that that can do that with Kane uh playing as he is. By the way, I wanted to circle back um on our last conversation. Iowa has had eleven punts returned, um, which is a big number. They're they're twenty-seventh in the country, just allowing three a little bit over three yards per return. But it's worth noting that they've allowed 11 returns. So returnable punts are out there for Jahan Dotson if he wants to make it. So I, I apologize. I was trying to look up that stat real quick before we got out of that segment. But that's a, a very interesting number when you talk about the potential for Jahan Dotson to make uh, a play in the third facet. Yeah, that's a great find by you. And, and this is exactly the type of game where, you know, even even a 20 yard punt return could really shift things. When we think about the last time we went out to Iowa City, I, I don't think you were there, but Mark and I were there. It was a 17-12 game and it just every single play felt like it held the matchup in its hands. I, I feel like that's the way this one's going to feel throughout. And, and a boy, a, a busting loose on a punt return could be a major break for Penn State if they had that opportunity with Jahan Dotson. Um, Noah Kane is the name we brought up there before we get to some other running backs who I'd love to talk about. We've got to discuss Noah Kane through five games I mean this is certainly a surprise no Penn State running back has reached the 200 yard mark through five games of this season now hey they're five and oh they're number four in the country they have found a way to win these games and Sean Clifford has done a really nice job with his receiving core and his tight end group but it's got to be better on the ground and, and that is we've connected a lot of moving pieces there with the tight end room with the offensive line unit with some moving parts on the offensive line interior we didn't see that Bryce Efner wasn't available it didn't seem for this past game but speaking exclusively on running back the spotlight's definitely on Noah Kane 
coming out of, of week five. I think there was a noticeable difference in his athletic ability, um, his burst right now. It's, it's unfortunate. Um, and we, I think we're both really big fans of Noah Kane um, as a young man. And we think, you know, he's a leader. We know he's a leader in that room, but right now you, you look at the, the product and he's averaging 3.2 yards per carry on 59 rush attempts. And, and that is far and away the most carries. I think that's 30 more than any other running back. So you look at the way that that volume has been allotted among these running backs. Does that distribution still make sense? You've seen that kind of change. John Lovett taking a big chunk the last couple of weeks. Keep on lead last week in particular, taking a bigger role. So Noah Kane taking more of a back seat. Do you think that trend continues? And, and I think the question is probably fair. Does Kane continue to be the guy who comes out with the first team unit? Remember going back to Iowa where he had a big coming out moment as a freshman and really was huge for Penn State in the fourth quarter, putting that game away late in 2019. Yeah, you you would think based on the schedule, you know, slow starts are are okay for Noah Kane, given given where he can given that he was coming off of the injury last year. Um, then you get to Villanova, you think, okay, he doesn't really do much in there, but it doesn't matter. It's Villanova trying. He's he's banged up. James Franklin admitted he was banged up, and then you you go 42 carries for 209 yards against Indiana. And you would think a big chunk of that would be your starting running back, but it wasn't. He looked, uh, you know, a step slow. He looked indecisive. Um, he looked like he was waiting for things to set up and they just weren't there. And then when they were there, he didn't really put his foot in the ground and go like we, like we expect him to, to, to be that back. And uh, you know, I think that's why uh, that's why Kevon Lee was a little bit more successful against Indiana. So, I mean, I, I don't know what the answer is. I does not look 100%, whether that's the injury from last year, whether that's something he aggravated, re-aggravated, what, what have you. Um, but, but, but they, you got to figure that out. I mean, this is a, an excellent Iowa defense. Uh, you know, they, they just tore Maryland to shreds, even though Maryland kind of, you know, put, put themselves in that position by handing them the ball a couple of times. Um, but this is a, a fast defense that can move around and, and, and they're tough up front. So, uh, it's gonna. There's not going to be much room against uh, against Iowa, and he's going to have to, or whoever's carrying that ball is going to have to be the team that, or have to be the guy that creates that yardage. And right now, Noah Kane's not that guy. Yeah, uh, and we'll find out. One other note before we get to David Eichold, who just joined us here uh, on the uh, on the our, our Zoom uh, recording. Uh, I do want to note here that Villanova and uh, against the Villanova and against Indiana the last couple of weeks, John Lovett, 25 total touches. Uh, for 99 total yards. So he's been heavily involved the last couple of weeks. And I, I think based on what we've seen, certainly don't think Penn State's going to sequester him to the sideline. Although I do wonder with early action for Devin Ford this past Saturday, how does he suddenly resurface or, or was this you know, uh, more of an outlier game than what we can expect in Devin Ford being involved? A couple of questions there. Yeah, I mean it's it's going to be one thing where you you got to find your hot hand and then you got to go with it and that's the thing I think Franklin has said that in the past but we haven't really seen that this year and uh, you know like you you know like you mentioned it's Penn State's five and zero oh, you're splitting hairs here um, but it's kind of just continuing to do the same thing while Kevon Lee breaks a couple of big carries and you want to get him some more action then all of a sudden he's relegated to the sidelines that's the the danger of playing four backs instead of three is that you're going to take carries away from someone so you'd like to get going and 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 you felt comfortable enough in the situation in against Indiana where you didn't have to ride one guy but on the flip side of at some point it's going to need to happen and it's probably this weekend against Iowa 
We're going to circle back, talk about a little bit more coming out of the Indiana game regarding Penn State's offense, some defensive notes as well. We got some recruiting to talk about, five-star mailbag, but we don't want to wait any longer because he is here. It's a busy week in Iowa City getting underway. Um, David Eichel, who we've had a chance to have on a couple times here on the podcast during recent seasons. This is a matchup, for whatever reason, continues to be a mainstay on both teams' schedule. They're not in the same side of the, of the conference here in the Big Ten, but it works out that way, and it often seems to be a pretty darn big game first top five matchup between uh, two Big Ten teams that doesn't involve Ohio State since 1997. That's a long time, folks. David, how are things going? Uh, the number three Iowa Hawkeyes under your spotlight up there. Yeah. yeah, hey, good to be talking to you guys again. And you're exactly right. Uh, it really seems like every time these two teams match up, some big implications on the line outs. I mean, I, I, I scrapped last year just because it was a weird year for everybody, I think. You know, most outside experts, fans, everybody expected Penn State to bounce back the way they did. They have too much talent not to. But, I mean, then you go back to past years. Yeah, Penn State might have won. I think it was five or six straight. But, I mean, how many last-second thrillers, how many fourth-quarter, uh, big fourth-quarter memorable performances? I mean, Saquon Barkley, you know, maybe outside the Christian McCaffrey Rose Bowl might be the most dominant single player I've, I've seen in, in a game, what he did in Kinnick Stadium that night. So, you know, good to be talking to you guys. And, you know, I know you mentioned the uh, Ohio State's the first time since I think you said 1997. If you take out Michigan as well, it goes back to 1962. That's unbelievable. That's something, man. <laughs> <laughs> Just That's unbelievable. But luckily for us, Penn State, Iowa, they don't play too many boring games. So should be yeah. a good one on Saturday. Uh, what what is this Iowa team brought to the table so far? We Tyler and I were talking. It's kind of the same thing with Penn State is is you're undefeated. You're where you need to be. Um, but at the same time, everybody's trying to shoot holes in both teams' schedules to make them look like they're they're maybe not as good as, as people think they are. Um, how good is this Iowa team? What, what have you seen so far? You know, it is kind of funny. It, I mean, because I said at the beginning of the season that Iowa had the toughest opening two-game stretch in the country because what we thought Indiana was going to be and then traveling to Ames, Iowa, to take on an Iowa State team, who I still think is going to win nine games or so. I mean, I think they have too much talent not to. Um, but I think the reality is it's, it's pretty obvious with Iowa. It's the offense. It's the offensive question marks. I think Iowa's special teams and defense are near the top in the country. I mean, what Iowa's secondary is doing is absolutely ridiculous. I had a uh, cover three podcast host and 24 uh, seven sports is Bud Elliott on the other, you know, a week ago. Cause we were talking about the big turnover luck battle that, you know, he's a big analytical guy and he talks about the turnover luck. And my whole thing was the turnover luck, I think is just a symbol of being well-prepared enough to take advantage of the opportunities. And I think when you look back at Phil Parker and what he's accomplished, you know, throughout his Iowa career, it's pretty self-explanatory 76 interceptions since the start of the 2017 season. That's the most in the country. And for the past five years, they have recorded more interceptions than passing touchdowns allowed. So it's a very senior riddled secondary. I think the linebacking plays improved. I think the big question marks for me heading into this season were the defensive line and the offensive line, which is very uncharacteristic of an Iowa team. But that's also why I bought stock into the team. I mean, I picked them to start out 6-0. I'm, I'm still kind of thinking about that pick now uh, with Penn State after what Penn State's been doing. But my whole thought process is I'm going to put stock into Kirk Ferentz and George Barnett that they know how to develop offensive linemen. I mean, in the reality, too, Iowa's got a lot of talent on the offensive line, even as far as 24-7 sports is, you know, star rankings go. So the talent's there. But can it vastly improve enough in time uh, to be able to, you know, take on a Penn State? And I think that's going to be the biggest question marks. But I do think it was a big symbol for Iowa on Friday, what they did against Maryland. I think they, you know, 
at least quieted down the crowd as far as what the offense can do. I think Spencer Petras played his best career game. I think when given a clean pocket, he showed he can make those deep throws. And I think they got the running game going a little bit. But again, Penn State's different. That's secondary. I'm a huge fan. I'm a huge fan of Joey Porter. I think he's, I think he's, I, I watched his story on Big Ten Journey the other day a few weeks ago. Sounds like a tremendous kid watching his film and watching what they did against Indiana. I mean, guys, I don't want to jinx it, but six to four, part two. <laughs> I mean, oh, man. Well, I, I, you know, to your point, quarterback play, Iowa, it's crossed some check marks at this point in the season. Quarterback play here at Penn State, it's a different kind of story than when we saw these teams match up last year. There's, that's to be certain. And um, I do want to ask you, you tweeted something going into that Maryland game. You said you had seen so many picks going toward the Terps, despite Iowa being considered a top five team, that you felt like wouldn't even qualify as an upset if Maryland won. It wasn't even a close. I mean, we saw something play out 59 nothing in Maryland a couple of years ago. Yeah. What does it mean for Iowa – to come home with a win that was that emphatic and that early on clear it was going to end up that way. I think it just shows that they're able to bounce back because I mean, look, the reality is Iowa should not have struggled with Colorado state. That shouldn't, they should not have been down at half. I mean, Colorado state with all due respect, uh, you know, the, the program, Iowa is just a different caliber. It shouldn't have been that close, but I think that was also such a big growing moment for that team is, Hey, this is the first time, you know, they really trailed all season. I mean, they, they were ahead most of the time against Iowa State. The Indiana game wasn't close. Kent State really wasn't close either. So I think the way they battled back was a really, really big deal. And I think that, you know, I don't want to, you know, here's the thing. Locker rooms always say they don't like listing the outside noise. I mean, guys, you've been around the business. I mean, they're obviously going to, you know, post up the articles in the locker room. They're going to be yelling, oh, you know, they don't think we can do this. We can't do that. And again, I was shocked about how many people picked Maryland to beat Iowa. I thought it could have been a possibility. I picked Iowa by two touchdowns because the thing about Tagovailoa was if he makes an early mistake, he has not shown the ability to bounce back. And I think you saw that sort of snowball effect uh, against that Iowa secondary. So I think it was a big deal because I think a lot of people were questioning how focused is this Iowa team going to be because they're obviously welcoming in a Penn State who – you know, going into last week, I think everybody was picking Penn State over Indiana just because Indiana is not what, you know, we thought they would be this season. So I think it's a big deal. But I mean, the reality is it pales in comparison with this weekend's going to be. I mean, I've gone on the record. I think this is the biggest game since 1985 inside Kinnick Stadium when Iowa beat Michigan uh, 12 to 10 when it was number one versus number two. And the reality is, especially for Iowa they have a pretty clean path to the Big Ten title, if not the college football playoff, if they beat Penn State, because Purdue's not where they're going to be, unless David Bell decides to single-handedly carry them past Iowa again, which he is capable of doing. Wisconsin, I mean, they're nowhere near what they need to be right now. I mean, I got crap for this the other day, guys, but this is the first year I've seen in a while where the divisions are so lopsided. I think the East is far, far more talented than the West. I mean, we're at the point where Nebraska is probably the second best team in the Big Ten West. And after Penn State, I think the Nebraska game is going to be the toughest game on Iowa's schedule. That is a sentence that was just said. Nebraska, the second best team in the West. That's yeah. that's terrifying right now. Um, <laughs> you mentioned Spencer Petrus. Uh, he's coming into his own. I don't think he's the quarterback that goes out and beats you single-handedly. You mentioned the running game's phenomenal. Um, but where's he at in his development? Where's he at on this track of of being the quarterback that wins the games versus, or excuse me, being the quarterback of the winning team versus the quarterback that wins you the game. 
You know, I think here's the thing. I think people, especially Iowa fans, have become so accustomed to blaming Petrus that even if there's other issues on the offense, it's always going to fall back on the quarterback. Sounds I mean, familiar. No clue, there, no clue with that. Nothing. Yeah. Nothing. <laughs> yeah. The reality is he's only inter- he's only thrown one interception in the past seven games. He's a guy who doesn't make mistakes, and you know all Iowa needs him to do, at least so far this season, just be able to put points on the board after Iowa turns. You know, Iowa gets a turnover. I think the Iowa, I think Iowa's offense is a long way to go, but I also think the yardage is still a little bit skewed just because of where Iowa's field position is at all times on the football field. I mean, they get the ball in these short yard situations and they've been able to put up points. I think they're averaging over five points per turnover. I mean, that's a ridiculous pace. So I think Petrus has shown me a lot over the past two weeks. He's nowhere near going to be a guy that's going to beat you outside the pocket. If, if, if Penn State can force him outside the pocket, he has shown a trouble resetting his feet and going through his proper mechanics, resulting in some underthrows. But the reality is he's not putting the ball in danger. And I think what we saw in his first two career starts last year, you know, granted it was a short year. He missed 35 days of summer and fall workout stuff because of contact tracing. That's never an easy situation for anybody to walk into. But when he's been given a clean pocket, especially this year, he's shown that deep ball touch. He completed four out of six against Colorado State when Iowa really decided to air it out. Last week, he really showed me some good things. And Brian Ferentz, I think, called one of his best games he's ever called as an offense coordinator against Maryland. I mean, everybody expects Iowa, what? Outside zone run, outside zone run, throw on third down to open up the game. He came out and put the ball in Spencer Petrus's hand and say, hey, go make decisions, go throw the ball downfield. So, you know, it is a typical Iowa team to some degree, but I think Iowa has more skill on the perimeter than they've ever had. And I think that they're really starting to, to utilize that. And the reality is there's only one stat that really matters when it comes to starting quarterback guys. It's wins and losses. Petrus has won 11 straight games right now. Uh, and I think that with his performance last week, I mean, I think the critics have slowly quieted down. But as far as last year to this year, the command of the offense is so much better. And I think he's playing at all high confidence now will that translate over after his probably his best career game that's gonna be my biggest question mark going into this one especially against a secondary as low as penn states i do want to talk about that 11 game win streak in just a bit because there's a nine game win streak here and and there's a lot to discuss about how both programs got to this point on saturday um but i don't know david if you are on his nil marketing team yet but you have been praising tyler goodson for a long time during his career at iowa um where is he right now as a running back i know last week uh, against maryland he had a, a big play in the passing game it hasn't been a hundred yard performances week in week out i know he had a huge game on the ground against kent state but how much of a threat it must penn state account for here in the backfield uh, with tyler goodson I think, I think he's shown that he's a very versatile back, and that's funny about the NIL. And the reality is he's probably one of Iowa's most talented backs they've had, at least over the past decade. I think Akron Wadley is going to be in there, but I think Tyler can do a little bit more, um, especially blocking than Akron Wadley could, and his ceiling's higher. But I think, the real, I think that he's been able to break the big runs this year. I mean, three of his touchdown runs have been over 35 yards. Uh, he has probably some of the quickest feet I've seen Iowa back have. I mean, it seems like Every week he puts on, you know, does a juke where it goes on Bleach Report. It goes on all this other stuff, right? It makes its way around social media. But the biggest thing that I've seen that he struggled with, I think, this season that really needs to improve, especially when yards are going to be hard to come by against a stout Penn State defense, he's got to just stop looking for the big play and he's got to just get those extra two or three yards per carry. I mean, there have been times where he bounces everything the outside. He tries to shake and bake too many people, maybe gets back the line of scrimmage, maybe gets a one-yard gain, two-yard game. But those two-yard gains should have been five or six 
hey, just hit the hole, take the contact and keep moving those feet. I think that's going to be the biggest thing that I'm looking for to see him improve on. But it's also going to be a big question mark for me is what's Iowa going to do in the backup running back spot? Ivory Kelly Martin had a huge bounce back game last week, 62 yards on, on only eight carries. But this is a guy that's fumbled it four times this season. And he's a fifth year senior coming off a rough couple of years. So are they really going to rely on Tyler Goodson, uh, just solely Tyler Goodson against this Penn State defense that's incredibly physical and has done well this season? Or are they going to try to mix and match some of the younger guys along with Ivory Kelly Martin? So, again, it, it's tough for me to really sit here and you know think about what's going to happen against that Penn State defense because the reality is I think Tyler can only be as good as Iowa's O-line is against that, that Penn State defensive line and against their linebackers because I, I think that – while Goodson hasn't gotten those harder and extra yards, there have been times where a tight end misses a block. Monty Potabon, the fullback, misses a block when they go the outside. So it's little things like that, that that have also kind of held back the Iowa running game. And if you look at the the yardage from last week, I think they only averaged slightly over three yards a carry. It's a little bit skewed because they're you know throwing in garbage time, throwing in younger backs and stuff. But I do think that he's going to go in there incredibly confident. And Tyler likes the big stage. I mean, this is a guy that really does play well on the big stage. So ain't going to get much bigger than Saturday night. So I'm very curious about what Iowa's game plan is, because I think Brian's going to try to scheme up some different things that we have not seen this season. David, one to 10, how great of a fullback name is Monty Potabom? I mean, that's got to be number 10, right? I mean, that's got to be a 10. I mean, it's it's like Iowa, the old Iowa linebacker, Pat Angerer. I mean, you don't get much better name than for a linebacker than Pat Angerer, right? I mean... (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome. Um, that offensive line you mentioned, work in progress. Where are they at on the, on that progress? I mean, this is uh, uh, is this their biggest test to date? And how do you think they they can hold up against this uh, defensive line? You know, I thought Maryland was a decent test, but I also look at who Maryland beat. So I think again, those stats you got to take into account who they beat. I mean, they beat West Virginia, but I'm a fan of. I throw out the first game for every team every year because that's just not going to be a symbol of who they are going to be, right? So. You know, they. I think Maryland beat Howard. I think they beat Kent State, and they beat Illinois by a field goal. And you know, they were fifth in the country going into sacks. Uh, in sacks, Iowa only allowed two. But again, I, I don't know where this offensive line is at. And I know how weird that sounds, but they've been so inconsistent week in and week out. There have been series where you're thinking, okay, this this could be the turning point for them. And then there's back to back sacks given up. There's back to back tackles for losses, and you're thinking, okay, well, what's going to happen here? But I do think a big thing for Iowa is Kyler Schott is 100% healthy for the first time this season. He was one of pro football folks' highest grade uh, offensive linemen returning heading into this season by the Big Ten con- in the Big Ten Conference. Uh, Fifth-year senior, a little bit undersized, but incredibly physical. Pairing him alongside Tyler Linderbaum, I think, is going to really help the middle of the field. Uh, Connor Colby is a true freshman. He was a high four-star by 24-7 sports. He's a guy who, again, inconsistent, but that ceiling's there. And when he gets on a roll, he's proven to be pretty efficient. And I, I think that the biggest weaknesses right now and the most inconsistencies, though, it's from the offensive tackles. I mean, Iowa last year at the very end of the year thought they were getting Mark Kallenberger back, who would have been a fifth-year senior, started six games, but he elected to retire from football. And then Larrick Jackson, who is now – on the Los Angeles Rams. So replacing both tackles with, you know, a redshirt freshman who played defensive line in high school, but Iowa flipped him into an offensive tackle and uh, a redshirt sophomore who was a walk-on at the time, a preferred walk-on had a bunch of offers from FCS schools, Nick DeYoung, decent player again, but I think there's a limited ceiling with, with guys like that. 
So it's going to be very interesting. I think that they are getting better, but I, I'm also going to say I'm only grading this offensive line as good as their last series was. So if they if, if they show up like they did against Colorado State, and State's going to have a heyday. If they show up like they did against Maryland, I'm I'm you know I think you, Iowa at least gives himself a chance because again if Petrus has to escape the pocket. He hasn't proven to me right now that he can escape the pocket and make, a, and make a high caliber throw. If he's given a clean pocket, I think at least the Iowa wide receivers will have a chance downfield. You, you get this, and Sean and I understand it. When Even if you're covering a 5-0 team in this industry, you got to be looking for the warts because people want to talk about those things and what's going to hold you back, what's going to trip you up when it matters most. You mentioned the offensive line. Where else are the warts through five weeks for this Iowa squad? You know, I think again, I, I think it's I think it is the downfield passing. I know they've made again, they've made strides the past two weeks, but you gotta be able to be consistent about it. And Spencer Petrus is like you know, Spencer Petrus, again, with all credit to him, he's won 11 straight games, but I'm still not convinced that they can push the ball downfield against very talented secondaries. I think last week, Maryland, I think Maryland had the most big explosive plays allowed through the air in the Big Ten conference. So again, I don't know if they're gonna be able to do that against us. Uh, a roster like Penn state and the talent that they have. I think that's a big thing. I think that they've done a good job with mobile quarterbacks this year. And I think that's partially due to the emergence of Justin Jacobs, who I think is going to be a guy He's a former all American. I think he, you know, high school all American. I think he's going to be a guy that has to make legitimate NFL decision by the end of the year, based on what he's doing. But I think Iowa's ability to mix defenses from four, the four, two, five and the four, three, they have different guys that can do different things. Um, but I will say this. Jihad Dotson is built to be the wide receiver that can really give Iowa fits. I mean, that's Jihad Dotson is one of the reasons why Iowa switched to that four, two, five defense a couple of years ago, because of what he did in the slot. I think they had, I think Ben Neiman was still at Iowa at the time. And I think it was at Penn state and Jihad Dotson just absolutely went off in the slot. And if you're putting Ben Neiman on Jihad Dotson, that's not mean you're not winning that matchup. Dotson's too talented. He's too fast. He's too skilled. So I think that's why Iowa said, you know what, we got to put more speed on the field. And that's why they've done that four, two, five. It's done well so far, but again, Dotson has the mold of a receiver that could give Iowa fits. And you know, there's a lot of good things to take away from last week's win over Maryland. Dante Demas jr. Had a very serious injury though. And Maryland was still, was still up in that game when that happened. So I think that's something to take into account. And I think that was early in the second, uh, early in the second quarter when he got hurt, he had four catches for 64 yards, those deep crossing routes. If Iowa can't jump those, I think the deep crossing route could be the Iowa's kryptonite. I really do. And they have talented safeties, but uh, you know, if, if Clifford can be composed and make the throws like he's been doing this year and avoid slipping into what he did last year, I think that's going to be my biggest key to the game because Iowa's defense is all built off of, we're not going to make mistakes. We're going to wait for you to make a mistake. And teams have been able to make mistakes so far. So I think Clifford, if he can escape the pocket, make downfield throws and look for those deep crossing routes, I think that could be a weakness. And again, like you said, the offensive line is going to be a big question mark. Downfield passing is going to be a question mark. And, uh, you know, I'll even say running the football. I still think they've shown some good things this year. They've had some big runs, but the down to down four to five yards of carry, they just haven't been able to get this year. I mean, I think Makai Sargent, is probably one of the more missed Iowa players from last year. He was never an explosive guy, but he got you those five, six yards of carry. So there's for as many good things as there are about Iowa right now, I still think there are some question marks to, you know, taking them to that next level. Because, I mean, I don't know if you guys agree with me on this. I think Alabama and Georgia are clear one or two right now. Like <laughs> we just talked about this. Low. We just talked about this. Everybody else is below yeah. that. 
Yep. Yeah, David was not on our intro when we said the exact same <laughs> thing. So uh, just a little behind the curtain there. David, looking at the, as we transition from offense to defense here, looking at both sides of the ball, who's the one guy that Penn State has to account for? Who, who's the one guy that's going to keep popping up that Penn State fans are going to be like, not that guy again, because it's not always the best player. It's the guy that, you know, finds that seam or does something, you know, as, as closely as we cover these teams on 24 seven sports, there's always that guy. Um, So who's the guy that Penn state needs to account for on every play on offense and, and, and similarly on defense. Yeah. I think for, for defense has to be Jack Campbell. Iowa's middle linebacker. He had an 18 tackle performance two weeks ago. He's been the heart and soul of Iowa's defense this season, 43 tackles on the year. Six foot five, 240 pounds, probably one of the fastest sideline to sideline linebackers I've seen, especially at that size. Because you don't see a lot of, you know, Mike linebackers are six five, 245, but he, he can move. So I think he's a guy who has a nose for the ball. He can make big things happen. I'm also going to throw in Justin Jacobs again, just as a, just a, maybe another guy, because what he's done this year, going from barely playing to forcing fumbles to making big plays happen. He, he could be a guy that, you know, he's going to cover a Theo Johnson, who I think Iowa fans are still a little bit upset about losing. I know they were in on that. Um, and on offense, I'll say Sam Laporta because Iowa's tight ends. I think Iowa's really starting to get some production out of their tight ends. They've had a rough couple of years from the production standpoint from them. Sam Laporta has done some good things there, but when you replace TJ Hawkins and Noah Fant, it's an impossible situation to go into. But Sam Laporta has been a big target on third down. He's Iowa's leading receiver on the year. Iowa loves doing those play action bootlegs, then hitting Sam Laporta, having a second tight end, Luke Lachey, go out as a front blocker. I mean, that got them four first downs alone last week against Maryland. So I anticipate they're going to try to run something similar there. And another guy who I think is due for a huge game that hasn't had one this year, who I think is incredibly talented, I think Tyrone Tracy Jr. Uh, he's probably one of Iowa's more dynamic receivers. Hasn't really had that re- production he has a redshirt freshman, but as far as strength, speed and everything he he's gonna be a guy that i think i was gonna try to really get involved in the offense this upcoming week when we were out in indianapolis for for big 10 media days in late july you and i were exchanging notes a little bit about how last year started versus how last year finished it took penn state a while longer to get going we saw iowa and beaver stadium they actually handed penn state its fifth straight lost uh and and then since then penn state hasn't lost again and iowa hasn't lost again either how is how is the program got here? Because when we spoke in 2019, Penn State went out there, uh, beat Iowa. It was second straight Big Ten loss. They had just lost to Michigan, I think, ten to three. And you yeah. were very seriously talking about there are questions about whether Kirk Ferentz is peaked and then some, and if it's time to look for new leadership. Here he is. Uh, I don't know what is it year fifty for him with the Hawkeyes, <laughs> and and they're number three in the country. How did it get here? You know, I, I really think it all stems back to what Iowa went through last year with the racial disparity allegations in 2020. I think that the, the culture has changed from all accounts from what I've heard from the players, what I've heard behind the scenes. I think players, you know, Iowa players weren't allowed to use Twitter until last year um, when everything really started opening up. So they started using that. The players have a voice. They have a leadership council. They get the young guys involved in the leadership council. They've done all these different things behind the scenes. And these guys are just genuinely love playing with one another and they have a genuine deep bond. And I think I said this at the time too, and I, I think it really sticks more at home with me and Iowa fans now because of this. So I said, going into that Michigan state game last year, it was fresh off the back-to-back losses. I said, this is the most important game of Kirk Ferentz's college, you know, Iowa career, 
Because if they start out 0-3, I think that everything goes completely off the rails, especially after everything that, you know, that the team went through from a national standpoint going into that. They came out and absolutely boat raced Michigan State. And I think once that burden was kind of lifted off the team, they remembered what that feeling was like. I think that combined with, I mean, I'll say this too. I've asked players about this. COVID brought teams closer together because they were so isolated from, you know, the rest of society at that time. And I think that's really played a big part in it as well. They had nothing to do but focus on football, watch film and, you know, Netflix and nap. I mean, I don't know what else those guys are really allowed to do. So I think from the top down leadership wise, I think that there's been a big change as far as just a culture of the program goes. And I think that stemmed over the football field. I mean, I don't think it can be overstated about the better players get along off the field. It is going to translate on the field. And I mean, I've seen times this year where a guy will make a big play. Yeah. He's excited about it. His teammates are more excited about it in the, in the moment and after the game than the player it's him, like himself is. And I do think that that has translated in a big way. And, you know, I think you have to give the coaching staff a lot of credit too, because when that whole thing went down, they only lost the commitment of one kid at the time. And he ended up going a different route, um, a different level of football. So I really do think Kirk Ferentz, not that he was downward trending and whatever. I think before last year, he had the most wins in a five-year span in Iowa history, which was 47. But, you know, I don't think, I don't want to say he was lacking. There was lacking a fire there, but everything is just ramped up. I think from the top down, I think he got rejuvenated. I mean, I told you guys this, I think off the record too, that before this whole thing happened, I thought he would retire by the end of next year before that whole thing went down. I think Kirk's going to stay for another three or four, maybe even five years now. I think he's really trying to, you know, quote unquote, repair his legacy. I mean, Iowa fans don't think he has a legacy to repair, but there's still that national standpoint based on everything that happened. He's recruiting at a better rate, which, I mean, look, they say it doesn't translate over to wins, but I mean, guys, the stats don't lie. So I, I think from all accounts, I think it's just been the big shift in the culture change and the players embracing it. And I do think that that's translated uh, over the field because also 10 of their 11 wins have been by double digits. The only team that's been in single digits within them is the Nebraska game when Iowa won 26 to 20. Reiterating just how long Kirk Ferentz has been the head coach at Iowa and how rare this matchup is. He's been the head coach for the Hawkeyes since 1999. And during that entire tenure, there has never been a top five matchup in the Big Ten without Ohio State once again. So this is a huge game uh, for a guy who's been the head coach since 1999 to say this is one of the one of the bigger games of his career speaks volumes. Yeah. Sounds like a couple programs that have been galvanized by what they went through in 2020, certainly different circumstances, but yeah. it's early in the week. We both have a lot to learn about this matchup and I'm not expecting you to come on our podcast to pick against Iowa, but where's your head at on this matchup and how does Iowa make sure it stays unbeaten and how does Iowa end up coming off the tracks and sending Penn State, Penn State back with a win. Penn State, by the way, three straight wins in Connect Stadium. Yeah. So, I mean, again, I've gone back and forth on this. I picked Iowa in the preseason. I thought Penn State would be good. I, I didn't think they'd be unbeaten at this point. But, I mean, I thought maybe they would have dropped one. But I think the I think the biggest thing that Iowa needs to do is, you know, I know Penn State's running game hasn't been there this year. Uh, Noah Kane, by the way, I'm not sure. What's Noah Kane's status? For the, I mean, he's not 100% right now, correct? He doesn't look it, but he's out there. He's, he's involved. Yeah. yeah, he started each game, and he was out there in the fourth quarter last week. So he's part of the plan. He's part of the plan. Yeah. That's for sure. 
he, he's a guy that I really think is, I mean, not a lot of people agree with me on this. I think he's a guy that really could give Iowa a lot of fits. I mean, I think a couple of years ago, the last win, their last win inside Kinnick Stadium, Noah Kane picked up those crucial first downs late in the game. I think it's because Iowa's defense was so physically worn out and Noah Kane's a, he, he's not, he's not an easy guy to tackle. Um, so I think, you know, if he can really get going, I think that'll be a big thing. I know Penn State's doing the running back by committee sort of thing. I think Iowa, what they need to do is make Penn State a one-dimensional offense. If they can keep Clifford in the pocket and force him to make decisions, based on the, what Iowa's doing right now, I'm picking Iowa secondary to win that matchup because they've been so meticulous about their film study. They've taken advantage of the opportunities. And, uh, you know, again, I think mobile quarterbacks have hurt Iowa in the past, which is why I'm very – interest to see what Iowa's defense is going to scheme up because do you keep a quarterback spy or do you throw another guy to keep eyes on Jahad Dotson, who, again, I think could absolutely go insane against this Iowa defense. And I don't say that lightly because I don't think a lot of receivers are capable of doing that. Um, so I think that's going to be the biggest key for Iowa. And I think on the flip side uh, for Penn state, I think it's just to, you know, win the battle of the trenches. I think you got, you can't give Spencer Petras a, a clean pocket I think that if Penn State can physically own the time of possession, if they can physically wear down Iowa, and if Noah Kane can really get going, again, I really think Noah Kane could be the X factor for Penn State in this game. I I, I love the way he runs the football. He's tough. He's physical. And not that this, this Iowa team won't quit, but he's just a different caliber of back. When you traditionally look at the backs who have given Iowa trouble, Noah Kane does fit that mold. I don't care what his stats say for heading into this game. Uh, he, he could be a guy to watch for, for sure. So, Iowa keeping the pocket clean, Penn State wearing them down, and uh, we'll see. And I mean, like I said, I know you're not going to make me pick. I, I, I don't know who's going to win this game. I really don't. I think it has the potential to be the Big Ten game of the year, without a doubt. It's going to be fun, man. It's going to be fun. I'm sorry I won't be joining you, um, but I got to stay close to the hospital around here. <laughs> Unbelievable. Choosing yeah. family over Penn State football. Come on. Yeah, that's just your firstborn. How many of those can there be? You know? <laughs> don't let me serve that as a lesson. And by the way, David, congratulations on the contract extension with CBS and with 24-7 Sports. Really happy to be uh, con- you know, a colleague here in the years moving forward with you. Yeah, for sure. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's uh, you know, it's good to be working alongside you guys. You guys do a tremendous job and uh, we'll keep this thing rolling. We'll talk to you soon. I'm sure throughout game week, we'll be going back and forth a little bit about our respective squads. So take care, man. Hey, right, take care, guys. Thank you. David Eicholt does a great job covering Iowa uh, for 24-7 sports, and uh, that's going to continue into Saturday. Like you said, I mean, just hearing it from his vantage point, it feels like a bit of an echo from some of the things we're talking about, about a 5-0 team inside the top five with a lot to gain on Saturday. And, and I'm with him. There's some really exciting ways you can break down this matchup, whether it's Clifford against this Iowa secondary or Penn State trying to get these one-on-one matchups on the perimeter and, and force Petrus into some situations that he hasn't faced this year. It's Monday, but I'm pretty revved up for this game coming up uh, Saturday afternoon. You should be. And and that was a tremendous, uh, I don't know if anybody skipped ahead or anything, but go back and listen to David Eichold. He was fantastic. Um, you know, it, you, you mentioned, you brought up a good point that you got two 5-0 and o teams, two top five teams. And we're out here looking for the warts, and and there's certainly, I mean, this is this is not an unblemished side on 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 either side. Um, so I'm looking forward to how this one plays out. It, it could go a number of ways. It's I don't I don't see it going 48 46, but it could no. go a number of ways, and it could be a very entertaining football game on Saturday. We've got some things to get back to um, here in Happy Valley as we get ready for another week of player availabilities and and some practice access a little bit later here. Um, Right now, we're we're still building off of what we saw on Saturday night in Beaver Stadium. Uh, We talked about the running backs. There was four of them involved. I wanted to point out one particular play that I thought was really indicative of of overall how the night went and how Penn State – 
after that early interception was able to avoid any kind of pitfalls offensively that gave Indiana some kind of fresh jolt of energy. They didn't give Indiana anything that made them feel like momentum was switching fourth and seven completion from Sean Clifford. When this team uh, was driving down for their first touchdown Uh, nine yards near the sidelines, excellent catch from Parker Washington. But I I thought on the fringe of field goal range, Jordan Stout probably has the leg, but you don't want to give up the ball in a zero zero game to to Michael Penix in midfield and, and maybe give them that jolt that I just said, I thought that completion and then later capping it off the drive with a touchdown pass to Brenton strange, showed a lot of confidence in between Sean Clifford and, and his receivers, but also Mike Yersich and Sean Clifford. Two for three on fourth down conversions, which Penn State has had a habit of, of getting into a spot where they get that fourth and five or, or whatever it have. And and you're you're not talking about the one at the goal line. That, that was the one that they didn't get, which they should have gotten. The running backs are, are responsible for that. But um, that that's one where you've seen the game change. You know, you think back to that Maryland game last year and Penn State's driving and all of a sudden they've got a, a fourth and mid or something like that. And, and you know, you, you don't complete the pass or whatever. You get that, you keep that rolling, you move the sticks, you keep your defense off the field. So many good things happen when you can, uh, you know, not only have the gusto to go for it and and, and then you actually get it. Uh, great throw by Sean Clifford. That, that Those are momentum drivers that, you know, you probably forget about in the post-game show type thing. And then you look back and think how big of a play that was um, for him to be able to make that pass, for, for Washington to make that catch. Um, really put yourself, put your offense in a situation where you have a lot more confidence going uh, week after week. When we talked about momentum building with Sean Clifford coming into the season, a lot of it was negative momentum building and things sliding the wrong direction. This year, it's been different. It's been building towards something positive, and it's been a consistent theme here through five games. A big test coming up against Iowa, but this was a game against Indiana in which they really were able to dominate that time of possession. That's not really something that's been characteristic for Penn State. 31 minutes uh, of, of, uh, I'm sorry here, uh, what I meant, plays, 76 plays to 57 plays. I thought that was big because they were able to keep the pressure on Indiana's defense, get off the field. And as much as you can keep these guys rested um, from a defensive standpoint, I'm particularly thinking about that defensive front. Although as we'll get to in just a second, there were some nice signs of depth there. I I thought that was big, the ball control here. And David just said, if Penn State can play some form of ball control offense, that's going to be a big ticket for them to come home with a win on Saturday. Yeah. And and on the flip side, Indiana three of 14 on, uh, Yeah, that's uh, that's tough on third downs, and then they they got one of two on fourth downs, but still, um, that that's what's going to dictate the game. That's what's going to keep your you know you know your offense confident. That's what's going to keep your defense off the field. Um, you know, that's uh, I don't want to say that's all that happened, but the, the, you mentioned the the play disparity, the time of possession disparity, about thirty five minutes to about twenty five minutes. That's big time, especially when you're playing with a shorter roster on the road. So um, Penn State's going to need to to continue that sort of thing. Clifford, um, as much as we hate to say it, this is the first, uh, you know, when you think about Iowa away, that's the first time we saw Clifford, that deer in the headlights look that has kind of become synonymous with him over the last two years. I'm sure we'll talk about that more, but um, it's going to be about how he handles it. Obviously a little bit more mature, obviously confident right now. So we'll see pretty quickly uh, in the game on Saturday, which, uh, you know, how, how big those strides have been. But what feels different about this matchup than that matchup is, in that case, they leaned on the ground game to come home with the win. It feels like the way this Penn State team has performed, based on the five-game sample size, they're going to need to lean on Sean Clifford to go out and make plays late in this game. That's that's how things have evolved in a couple of years. Obviously, that's what you'd want from a third-year starting quarterback versus a guy who's just getting started. But much different setup here, although the stakes are very high once again. And I wanted to make note here, 
hasn't been a bunch of stats built up by Theo Johnson, but he's maximized those opportunities. Four straight catches, and maybe a bit quietly because of everything Jahan Dotson's doing and the fireworks they had against Villanova, uh, but four straight games with 20-plus yard reception, um, and it just seems like he is wide open. They are dialing it up with him. They're picking their spots, and Clifford seems to find him in stride with a lot of room to work with. And let me remind our listeners, six foot six, nearing 260 pounds, Four five one forty yard dash or four five four it may be either way the fastest tight end forty yard dash that they have on that big board which goes back to twenty twelve. Yeah, he can play a little bit, and uh, yeah. these tight ends are going to be huge this week. Uh, be something I'm sure we'll get into a little bit more. Uh, but uh, these tight ends are going to be absolutely massive against that uh, that Iowa front seven. All the talk is about the secondary and all those turnovers forced, but you know they they have something going for them up front, which is what every Iowa team has. So um, it will be a situation where you you not only need them to to make the blocks, but get them out and move the chains, and as we mentioned, and improve that third down uh, ability, that third down conversion ability. So, but Theo Johnson just give you something, and and Brenton Strange is really good too. You know. The, the tight ends, I think, have lived up. Maybe, maybe not the biggest numbers in the receiving game, but they, I think they've lived up to. You can see the talent coming out of those guys a little bit more than than you can see from the running backs right now. I still think the moving forward, blocking from that group more consistently, uh, making sure you clamp down and, and, and don't whiff or, or release too early. I think it's been a bit of an issue during short yarded situations, really across the board and, and picking up guys on, on switches, on stunts. Been a problem. That's an area where you tie that into the run game conversation. You got to pick it up on third and three. You got to turn second and nine into second and four. It just hasn't been consistent. This feels like a game where that will certainly come back to haunt you if you can't move the ball on the ground in short yarded situations. Um, I want to go over to defense here. And and James Franklin did a nice job setting the tone for us by posting a picture of him enjoying a zero candy bar um, on Twitter on Sunday afternoon and uh, gave a nice shout out to Brent Pry in the process. Yeah, yeah, he's a big nerd, by the way. Um, but uh, the zero candy bar, the shutout, first shutout in 246 games. And Indiana's been bad at times during that stretch, very bad in times in that stretch. But still, that's a that's a remarkable stat. Um, opponents have not scored on seven of 15 red, red zone trips. Not only Ridiculous. no field, not only Yeah, it's not like seven of 15 and you get some field goals. It's seven of 15 haven't scored. That's unbelievable um so they've clamped down they've made those plays blocked a couple field goals uh forced a couple turnovers so i mean that's that's pretty remarkable um and that defense is going to have to be on on point this weekend and you know i think uh petrus as well as he's playing can be you know uh, susceptible to the turnovers all those quarterbacks that you know maybe lack the the physical you know, the God's gift physical things uh, that, that we look across college football. Some of these guys have it. Some of these guys don't. Petrus is a really good quarterback and a really good leader, um, but nobody's going to mistake him for a guy that's going to go number one overall or anything like that. So um, Penn State has an opportunity to to make those plays and and have your defense sort of set the tone. And I think Iowa's defense is going to try and do the same thing and, and do a really good, and they obviously do a really good job at it, but set the tone and, and, and be um, not outside that red zone, be the, the team that really dictates things. Say it one more time. No points for the opponent on seven of 15 trips inside the 20. It's, and and there have been big moments late in Auburn, late in Wisconsin. That says a lot about we, – we know this This is a, f- a defense full of athletes. We've seen them swarm to the ball. But it says a lot about the way the trust and accountability is in place that no one is – it takes one thing. It's a domino effect. There haven't been lapses. And you know, if that can continue – in this stage on Saturday, that says a lot about where this defense is because when it has been ugly for this defense of late in recent years, 
There have been guys looking around at each other after plays, trying to figure out what went wrong. We haven't seen that. And, and that's been huge for this defense. And Sean, one thing that I thought was interesting from David was the perimeter of the offensive line may be a problem in this matchup for Iowa. It's an, at least unproven in his eyes going into this game. And I think we saw Arnold Abikati prove that he can win some key one-on-one matchups. I talked about going into the game against Indiana. Could him and Jesse Lucetta off the edge dial up some, some pressure on their own without assistance from the blitz. And there was certainly occasion where the blitz contributed toward pressure, but I thought Ebikati in particular, he got a sack. He got a couple of pressures. Luketa forced a couple errant throws from Penix. That is the kind of performance that if those guys can duplicate against what sounds like a, a very vulnerable uh, set of offensive tackles there for Iowa, that could be the difference maker. Cause the one thing I don't know about Petrus is can he improvise? And how well can he do it? And how many times can he do it? Because we're starting to see Sean Clifford prove that he's a pretty good improviser. Not necessarily of a Trace McSorley level, because McSorley was on a different level in that regard. But if you can have your quarterback turn a a collapsing pocket into a seven-yard gain, whether it's through the air or whether you pop one deep and you find a guy because the defense is closing in, that's a huge that's a huge advantage and I just don't know if Iowa has that in their quarterback right now that that's one thing David Eichholt kept saying was you keep Sean Clifford in the pocket and and you think about where all, all the things that Sean Clifford's been through and then you look at this year when he's been able to I don't want to put this on him but play like Trace and get outside the pocket and keep his eyes downfield and and then hit that that delayed throw you know we, we looked a couple times last week at uh, Sean Clifford how close he was to the line of scrimmage when he let that go that Brenton Strange touchdown was one of those he's been able to to keep his eyes up and go and not just put his head down and, and try to, to to get the first down that way. So that's an interesting dynamic that you add to this game that you probably go back a month and think that you really wouldn't have to do that. Um, he's been able to be escapable. He's been able to, to, to keep his eyes downfield and do some really nice things. And, and he has, he's been able to avoid big hits in the open field to this point as well. I think that's been important. He's been nice, done a nice job of working to the sideline, living to fight another play when he does get out and about. He will take his shots. There's no doubt about it. He's a physical runner, but I think he's done a pretty nice job protecting himself while also uh, putting Penn State in good spots as a runner. Uh, a few other guys that I thought really coming along on defense, uh, Brandon Smith uh, coming off that Auburn game. He was the Big Ten uh, Defensive Player of the Year. I know some surprises there. I think he continues to to, to you know make himself known early earlier in the game. I think, I think it's taking, it's, it's not taking as long over the course of a game for him to kind of feel like he's catching up and then all of a sudden he's in rhythm. I feel like early on now, Brandon Smith is locked in. I'm not saying that focus has been an issue. I just feel like he is a factor from snap one to the last snap on defense. And he's being left out there on a lot of snaps right now, Sean, this guy's, we talked about defensive line playing a lot of snaps. Brandon Smith's been counted on a lot by Brent Pry. And then another guy I wanted to mention here, Daquan Hardy uh, got the starting nine. They went with a nickel package to open this game. And I thought throughout the game, and he was tested late, broke up a touchdown pass, kept that shutout preserved. Daquan Hardy, there was a lot of questions when people heard in preseason Really? Daquan Hardy's coming along? He's going to be a huge factor in this secondary, in this cornerback group? We're seeing why. He, he belongs out there. Yeah, those guys have made some some big pushes in there. Um, you, know, you expect Brandon Smith, but Daquan Hardy's been a guy that I don't want to say came out of nowhere, but he, he's had a really productive year. Um, and, and, you know, 
with his size, with his background in terms of being a last minute ad, not a lot of people would, you know, really give him a chance. And he's done a, done a great job with that. Maybe you could say the same about Jair Brown. We, we thought that that Penn state needed him to be solid um, for them to be in the position that they are to get to where they are now. I think he's been a little bit better than solid. So those guys need to uh, continue doing what they're doing and Penn state will be just fine. You also add guys like Devon Ellies in um, who's played a bunch of snaps is that, basically pseudo third defensive tackle, um, even in passing situations, which we thought he was a run stuffer. We thought he was a, a one technique, but he's been very valuable for them playing a lot of snaps to give uh, Derek Tangelo and PJ Mustafer a blow from time to time. Ellie's has been crucial. I mean, just absolutely crucial with Beeman out of the equation. What you else, what else you have a defensive tackle? I don't think anybody else in that group is going to give you what, what he has brought to the field and I think some of the other guys are still maybe a year off from that point in their career here in year three you're seeing him you know be called upon as the lone interior guy on a three-man front and he's effectively getting some penetration there in the pocket uh, against Indiana now I think we'll continue to see a lot of him and uh, I think it's it's not just a necessity because of what you have a defensive tackle but it's a necessity because of who you have starting in PJ Mustafer and Derek Tangelo I don't think either of these guys are around next year. I know D'Angelo is not. He's a senior. The way P.J. Mustafer is playing, I don't necessarily see bonus NCAA eligibility being something that's super appealing to him. So you need to find out who can be some bedrock defensive tackles for you moving forward. Devon Elliott's through five games, starting to build that case. And, and boy, did Devon, uh, boy, did defensive coordinator Brent Pry and defensive line coach John Scott need somebody like this to step up at that spot. Yeah, you're you're always going to need numbers there. You're always going to need depth there, and and you know Ellie's has been certainly a pleasant surprise along the lines of what Hardy's been in the in the secondary. Um, moving forward to recruiting, because as we mentioned, coming off of the uh, game on Saturday night, a third straight Saturday with a commitment, this, uh, the 26th overall for the 2022 uh, recruiting classes. Uh, that came uh, Saturday early on. Omari Evans, uh, just a couple hours, a few hours before kickoff, the speedy wide receiver from Texas. Covered this a bit on the postgame podcast, Sean. Uh, there's a lot more happening in recruiting, though, beyond that commitment. Some stories are up. A bunch of 2023 visitors, a bunch of photos up of those guys on campus spending time with Franklin. Long story short, a very successful four-game stretch for, the Beaver, uh, for Penn State back in Beaver Stadium, able to do things they haven't been able to do in two years. Yeah, they've. Uh, it's just they're making the most of their opportunities right now, as you said. Uh, you know, four straight home games. You, you expect a lull at some point, but still, I mean, even even uh, the uh, Villanova game had a decent list of guys on hand uh, this weekend. Bunch of the the names that maybe didn't get up for the whiteout, even some that did get up for the whiteout, but. Uh, guys that wanted to get off of the way, like Samaj Bridgman, Marcus Dixon from Archbishop Wood. Um, they were up Christian Garrett, which this is a ridiculous story. St. Francis played in California on Friday night and he was at the game at Penn state on Saturday night. That's uh, unbelievable. I think he like, wanted I, to be I there. I think he I wanted to be even, there. <laughs> I can't even imagine, man. I just did. It just flew in from uh, Chicago and I'm exhausted, still exhausted. Not really. <laughs> um, but now you've got, you got things going on like that. Uh, Cam Lenhart came back his second visit in three weeks. The one that got me, um, and this was not expected. I don't think Penn state staff even expected him there. Uh, Tamir Robinson, the linebacker from, from Pittsburgh, he was up uh, with uh, any time that you could get Tamir Robinson on campus. You're going to want, you're going to love that, especially with Lamont Payne, who's already committed to Penn state. Um, this is one where, um, you like where Penn State stands right now, but they got to keep up with uh, Ohio State. Notre Dame are, are heavy in there as well. So just keep getting him back to campus and probably not the last time he'll be back. I'm sure um, he's looking at that Michigan game as a return trip as well. But uh, they've uh, they, they've hit on these these big visit weekends. And, and even when it's a small visit weekend, heck, you saw um, 
Michael Van Buren, the, the quarterback from St. Francis, came out of nowhere. He was actually at Penn State last weekend for the Villanova game. Penn State just offered him this morning. So um, even when they're not trying to hit, they're hitting on these things. And, and it's been really fun to see it come together. Phil Pachotti from, uh, from Penrich. And by the way, I absolutely was butchering that name. Thank you all of Bucks County for letting me know that. Um, but uh, <laughs> he was back and I, I have a crystal ball pick in for him. Um, you know, you just watch the body language, you watch some of the conversations he came up to, to get a little bit more time with the coaching staff more than you would get um, with the, um, uh, with the whiteout. And, you know, it just, there's a lot that points to Penn state in that direction. So Penn state uh, with just, uh, I believe about three commitments in the 2023 class, I expect that number to grow, um, you know, and, and cause they have momentum right now. Speaking of momentum, quick note, Drew Aller got to play in front of a national television audience uh, his last game going into the weekend, Friday night, 300-plus um, passing yards, four touchdowns through the air, added a fifth score as a runner. His team is all beaten. He has been phenomenal. Um, that's been fun to follow. And just a reminder that him and Bo Prabula are going to be on this campus in a matter of three months. Um, yeah. So just <laughs> it's, 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 you're going to see an infusion here in the quarterback room uh, that is going to be extremely fun to follow. And based on the way both those guys are playing and two guys who do it very differently, it's going to be fascinating to follow. Uh, I, we got to keep focus on, on Sean Clifford because what he's doing this year, there's guys uh, behind him at quarterback right now who don't want to feel like they're going to be moved to the side uh, come January. But man, uh, Drew Aller has answered the bell in a big way. And Mike Yurcich, James Franklin, got to feel great every morning when they look at that commit list and see uh, the quarterback out of Ohio securely on board. Look, they, they thought he was a really good player when they took him. Um, I don't think they even expected this out of him. Uh, he's been incredible. Just uh, he, you look at that and you expect a, a you know a potential five star quarterback to uh, to dominate, and he's gone out there and, and done that, and then some. So uh, yeah, they they love what they had in in Drew, but I would I would be sh- I think I'd be lying if I said they weren't a little bit uh, tickled, surprised about how well he's done this year. Let's get into our five-star mailbag. It's a question that we wanted to get to last Friday didn't, or last Thursday. Didn't quite have time, but we're going to circle back to it now. Um, and it comes uh, re- regarding dining experiences on campus. Todd Blackledge was looking for a state college restaurant for his Taste of the Town segment last weekend for the broadcast of Penn State, Indiana. Where would Sean and Tyler send Todd if they had to pick a local joint? Well, first off, he knows a lot more about campus than I ever would as a former quarterback around here. Um, I've only been around for a few years, but um, Sean, I'll let you go first because I feel like you have such a better depth of experience in eating at the, the best and the worst of what this campus I'm sure has to offer. Well, first off, he ended up in in Williamsport, which is an hour away. So um, that was an interesting choice by him. I I have a feeling, doesn't he usually do the tavern? The tavern just got uh, redone. I haven't been there yet, um, but have heard some good things about the remodeling and things like that. But I'm not, uh, you know, I I love food. We we love doing good food, but State College, I don't think it's any secret, doesn't have the, um, you know, it's not New York City when you're talking about cuisine around here. I'm an Otto's guy. I, I take the family there all the time, but that's kind of out of, uh, not necessity. We just love the, the atmosphere and it's loud there and my kids are loud. So uh, you'll have that, but I'm, I'm not sure where I would send Blackledge, man. Uh, the field is probably one. Uh, you take a look at those burgers and and there's certainly uh, quality there. Um, I, I'm a big fan of Tadashi, the, the sushi place. Um, I know I don't really look like a sushi guy, but my wife got me into that a couple of years ago and I, I like uh, to sushi. I like cozy Thai as well um, for, for Thai food. Gigi's is out my way. Um, so we often go there. Um, it's a, it's a 
buy you, you know, a New Orleans type uh, place, low country food, things like that. Which you're I trying to make a, you're trying to make a lot of friends right now. I would love, yeah, I'm trying to go down my sponsorship uh, pitches here. Um, there's a bunch of them. Great food. Uh, you know, we mentioned champs before, that, but anyway, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's really, um, it, it's a good town for, for good food. I, I don't think you're looking for a five-star restaurant here, um, but it's uh, living here. I, I, I don't have, uh, you know, exceedingly limited options. That's obviously not, uh, not what we'd love to have five-star restaurants everywhere, but um, it's, uh, there's some good food to be found in State College. Little mix of criticism in there. It was it was it was a really strong answer from from a guy who's been around here a long time. And and I and I will say, um, the the, the I will go back to endorsement deals. We'll, we'll, for for whatever for a small price on a weekly basis, we'll we'll tell you your restaurant's the best too. Um, there's yeah. no doubt about it here. In we can be bought. There's no doubt about. Oh that, yeah, man. yeah. We are certainly <laughs> available uh, to the highest bidder. But I, I I'll give one uh, without that kind of promotion. AK, Arnold Ebicati, I hope he was getting paid for, for his tweet. He tweeted about those nachos at Happy Valley Brewing. That is a legit dish. If you're just on campus for a weekend, those nachos, oh man, those are ridiculous. Um, but for me, newer spot, Central Reservation, right there downtown, right in the heart of downtown. And the reason I go there is because they've got a Reuben, a grouper Reuben sandwich, and I've never encountered one of those beyond the Gulf Coast of Florida, and I always hammer them in the Gulf Coast of Florida. Grouper Reubens are my go-to. Central Reservation, downtown State College, they got a damn good one, uh, and, it, and it keeps me going back. So that would be you know kind of one that I think is probably off the, the radar for most people. I love a good grouper Reuben as well, so I like that choice by you. Check that out. Uh, all right. Well, I think now that that's been solved, we'll get back to business on Penn State and Iowa in our upcoming episodes. Um, we got a matchup coming here Saturday at 4 o'clock, so it'll be a much earlier post-game podcast whenever that game goes final. Um, but on behalf of Sean and our producer, Lance Glenn, I want to thank David Eicholt. Enjoy his coverage of Iowa all week as, as we try to keep tabs on what the Hawkeyes are bringing to the field on Saturday. On behalf of all those guys, I'm Tyler Downeyhew. Thanks for listening, as always, to the Lions 24-7 podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.